0: Good morning. I'm going to ask Dennis and Chantel Young to come forward at this time, and Debbie Brandon also, if you're here with us. I'll I'll tell you what, I'll come down to you. You have the baby. (laughs) All right. This is Dennis and Chantel Young and their beautiful little girl, Willa Rose Young who is not going to look at me, that's fine. (laughs) They are here this morning expressing their desire to see their daughter follow Jesus and live her life for his sake. We call it a baby dedication, but really it's an expression of the parent's desire to raise their child in a Christian home. It's a beautiful living example of their faith in the words of Jesus who said, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. Dennis and Chantelle are bringing their daughter to Jesus this morning to say, will you take my child and lead her home to you one day? And we as a church affirm them in this and express our desire with them that Jesus will claim her as his own and care for her all the days of her life. Dennis and Chantelle, is it your desire by the grace of God to raise your daughter in the truth of God's word? church will you support dennis and chantelle through prayer and encouragement as willa grows up here if so say we will. we will we are with you this morning we are praying for you in this jesus hears you both this morning and he knows the name of your daughter willa so let's pray this morning to solidify this moment together our father we thank you and praise you for the gift of life that you've given to dennis And Chantel Young, we thank you for the life of Willa Rose. And Lord God, we thank you for and trust completely in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ to save Willa, to keep her for all eternity. Will you watch over Dennis and Chantel as they seek to raise her in a home where you are honored and glorified, where your truth is believed upon? Father, will you watch over and protect Willa all the days of her life? And will you help your church be a support and not a hindrance to this in their lives. We thank you so much for this family, and we ask and pray these things in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Church, thank you, and you have so many here that we want to welcome and thank you all for the visitors that are here and family that are here. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you both. I neglected to mention earlier an unspoken request uh, for a friend of, of Bob Wolf a, a brother in Christ that uh, has some testing coming up for Alzheimer's and so if you could just remember that unspoken request for this gentleman uh, I'm, I know he would be thankful it would be greatly appreciated in the Gospel of John we're given a glimpse of the depth of Jesus' love for us in a scene about death. And I don't think it just so happens to be in a scene about death. I think John has Jesus addressing love in this scene with His details because death and love are inseparably linked. And I'd like to propose this morning that the reason we may not think of death and love as being inseparably linked is because we don't truly understand Either one of them. And I know that's a that, that's a, a big assumption to make, but what if true love, whatever that is, can't be understood apart from death? What if death and love can't be understood at all apart from Jesus? Jesus Christ displayed His love for two sisters and their brother by delaying His visit until after the brother had died so that he could prove he was the resurrection and the life. Because Jesus truly loves us, his priority for us is eternity. And So if you're able, I'm going to ask you to stand as we read from John chapter 11 in God's Word. John chapter 11, I'm going to just read verses 25 and 26. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life whoever believes in me though he die yet shall he live and everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die do you believe this? let's pray our father you're the creator and sustainer of all life you are the savior of all God we deal in eternity here This morning. And I'm asking you to please help me speak equally to that task. Father, I need you this morning, please. Would you do the supernatural work of opening every mind in this place to hear your word by the power of your Holy Spirit. Help us see and hear Jesus as your word. And I ask this in his name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated, everyone. Just over, uh, uh, just over nine months ago, I preached my second sermon here as your pastor and I preached from this text in John 11 and revisiting it on this series uh, on the I am statements of Jesus in John gives us the opportunity to dig a little more deeply and zero in on the main truth that's present in this passage. There's a context to the statement Jesus just made in verses 25 and 26 at the end of this scene, we're not really going to read that far, get down into it too much this morning, but at the end of this scene with his family, Jesus is going to literally raise a man named Lazarus from the dead. He's literally going to do that. It's one of his most well-known and amazing miracles. The man had been dead for four days, wrapped in burial garments, placed in a tomb, for all intents and purposes, a little cave. In John 10, if you remember, Jesus declared that He was the good shepherd who knows His own sheep by name, and He calls them and leads them out. And immediately in John 11, He proves that that's the case. He makes the point that His voice, the voice of the shepherd, is powerful enough to pierce the grave. His voice is louder, it's stronger than death. When he goes after his sheep, so he calls Lazarus by name out of the grave, gives him back to his family. That's a straightforward statement about who he is if ever there was one. If I say I can do it, I can and will do it. But what is usually, maybe, not as memorable, unfortunately, from this story are the circumstances that led up to it. Let me just, let me read verses one through four of chapter 11. Now a certain man was ill, Lazarus of Bethany, The village of Mary and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Our Lord Jesus had history with this family. And you can hear in the urgent request of these two sisters the assumption that is giving hope to it. He whom you love is ill. When you and I hear of a need, it's often that the person who is making it determines the speed with which we respond. These sisters know that. They know Jesus is busy, and so they employ Jesus' love as the catalyst that hopefully would make Him come right away. And why wouldn't you do that? That's exactly what... You would do. This isn't just anybody, Jesus. It's Lazarus. It's us. Can you come right now? And we may not realize it, but we come into this text as we come into every text or any text of any kind with certain presuppositions that are shaping the way we receive the information we're reading. And how that might look here is that after hearing that he whom you love is ill and knowing that it's Jesus they're talking to whose love is Perfect, and we all define that differently. We do not expect to read the word, but, at the beginning of verse 4. But means the sentence that follows is not going to go the way you think it's going to go. There's a lot of that in this story. But, when Jesus heard it, He said, this illness does not lead to death, it is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. This illness does not lead to death. Yes, it does. It's precisely what it leads to. Lazarus dies because of this illness. There wouldn't be the miracle at the end of this passage if this illness didn't lead to death. So, either Jesus is mistaken, which creates a laundry list of problems, or... Jesus defines death differently than we do. But that's not all. That's not all. Look at verse 5. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. John takes the time to tell us. He gives us the detail that it isn't just that the sisters thought or hoped that Jesus loved Lazarus. It wasn't a ploy. He really did love Lazarus. In other words, John wants us to know that Jesus absolutely loved this family. That details here twice. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved, so it's true, Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So, when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. Now do you remember talking about this before? If verse 5 is true, verse 6 doesn't make any sense. At least not to us. Loving them, if He loved them, then it should read like this. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus, so when He got the message, He dropped everything He was doing and rushed right away to Bethany. Instead, it literally reads, Since Jesus loved them, He delayed. Since Jesus loved them, He didn't go right away. Since Jesus loved them, He didn't answer the sister's request in the speed with which they had hoped He would. That's what we're finding out. So either Jesus is as ignorant of what love is as He is of what death is, or Jesus also defines love differently than we do. That's the context for this I Am statement from Jesus. The pain of two sisters who have lost a brother and their frustration with Jesus because they thought He loved them and He didn't come when He could have prevented it. That's why they wanted Him to get there. That was the whole purpose. And it's in the context of Jesus proclaiming that He is the resurrection and the life that the Bible addresses death and love. Why address love in a text where Jesus has let someone down? And not just because He didn't do something for someone, but the worst thing that can happen to someone you love has happened precisely because Jesus delayed There's a lot of lead-up to this conversation between Jesus and Martha here. Those details matter. By addressing these things, the text is addressing the two most pressing needs of humanity. All over the world. It's universal. The fact that we all die, and the fact that we are all desperate to be truly loved even if we were to be truly known, right? Is there someone out there that would actually love us if they really knew us? We've talked about this before. Part of the goal in life is to keep people from really knowing who you are so that they'll like you, right? I mean, that's dating. Probably talked about that. That's what you do when you date. The the worst thing that can happen is that the person finds out who you really are. That's what marriage is for, right? (laughs) Right? You date you fake it the whole time, you're you faking it the whole time. Guys do this, girls do this, girls you know, we we I love football. I love shopping. Which if we're just lying to each other and then we get married. I don't like this shop. But right? I thought you liked this. It's just we just do this. So is there anybody out there that can address the two most pressing needs we have? The fact that we're all going to die. That's the common denominator all over the world in all kinds of suffering. The problem is that people die as a result of suffering. And even if they're not suffering, we all die. It ends one day. It stops. There's no coming back from it, as far as we know. And the other pressing need is, will I ever truly be loved? Will I ever truly be loved Now, I don't know that humanity thinks those are the two most pressing needs we have. I don't know that. Which may be, ironically, why Jesus is dismissed, maybe, so easily in today's circles. What good is He, right? If He isn't addressing the most pressing needs of humanity, what really is the point of Jesus? He seems irrelevant or things like starvation and terrorism and immigration issues and healthcare issues and so <clears throat> what does someone who is fixated on eternity and heaven and hell and all these things what good is that doing in real time or so it goes sometimes and I, and i and here's the, i can see how on a casual glance at jesus or a casual glance at people who follow him one could think that jesus is out of touch. In other words, we, we can understand why people might think that. I readily admit that, but I would ask, what can you ever really see if you never truly look, right? What if it is this obsession that Jesus has with eternity that is the very proof of His love? And what if that love is a love that holds true even when Jesus finds out who we really are? What if Jesus' obsession with eternity is how Jesus addresses the problems of the present rather than being his ignorance of them or his apathy about them? That would make him the answer to all the questions. It's no accident that Jesus makes this statements about himself in the midst of people being angry with him for seeming not to care about real time. Because you can hear it. It's very earthy passage. You can hear it when Jesus arrives approximately six days after the sisters had sent their request down in verse 21. Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. That is not merely an observation. That's an accusation. Where were you? Is what she's saying. And notice, this isn't what we would immediately recognize as a crisis of faith about Jesus. In verses 22 and 24, also in verse 27, it's clear that Martha believes Jesus is who He says He is. That's not the problem. And she believes that the Scriptures she has been taught are true. That's not the problem. She says, I know that God will give you whatever you ask. You are the Christ. I believe in the resurrection that's coming for everyone on the last day. I know eventually the dead will be raised up. All of that is there. All of that is there. Martha isn't hurting because Martha didn't believe the truth. Martha is hurting because the pain and finality of death make the truth seem either ineffective or irrelevant. Now add into that personal frustration with God. Remember, Jesus delayed because He loved them. That's why He delayed. But His love has not comforted Martha or Mary, down in verse 32. She'll say the exact same thing that Martha did It's the other sister. Instead, because Jesus' love delays, their confusion and sorrow are deepened. They're worse. How is that loving? That's when Jesus reveals that He is the resurrection and the life. That's when He says it. That's when he reveals it. Martha, that thing you're looking for that will make all this right and comfort your soul and even bring your brother back, it's me. It's me. Jesus didn't show up in time to tell Lazarus he was the resurrection and the life. He delayed so that he could tell his sister he was the resurrection and the life. Jesus didn't come to Bethany then only to raise Lazarus from the dead, but to give life to Martha and Mary. Both of those things are miracles. I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he die, yet shall he live, addresses Lazarus. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die, addresses Mary and Martha. But it's addressing all three isn't it it addresses the living and it addresses the dead the raising of lazarus from the dead later in verses 41 to 44 is real but it's temporary lazarus would eventually die again mary and martha were going to die one day so think about that and how it relates to this whole question of whether or not jesus is out of touch What if everything Jesus said about Himself, about us, about heaven and hell and life and death, what if all of it is true? What if part of what Jesus meant when He said that Lazarus' illness does not lead to death was the fact that to Jesus, death is not an ending, it is merely a transition. If eternity is real, if eternity is real, no one, knows how to love us better than Jesus. No one. If eternity is real, no one is more relevant to right now than Jesus. Jesus Christ came to save sinners because you and I are immortal. And eternity is coming. And if there is an eternity where we will all go on forever, either in eternal peace for embracing Jesus or in eternal suffering for rejecting Jesus, any offer of solution for what ails the human soul that does not address Jesus is like cough medicine for cancer. Anything that doesn't address eternity is superficial. No matter how sincere or functional it might be. Humans are in bondage. We are in bondage to the day of our deaths. The Bible tells us that we live in lifelong slavery to the fear of death. But Jesus is the resurrection. And His voice raises the dead. The first reason Lazarus' illness does not lead to death is because Jesus is the resurrection and the life who will raise him up both now and on the last day. The second reason Lazarus' illness does not lead to death is because the resurrection and the life loves Lazarus. It isn't just that the delay wasn't unloving. It's that the delay was loving proving that He was the resurrection and the life, was the reason for the delay. Which means the fact that Jesus is the resurrection and the life is not only a statement about who He is, but about His love for us. How does the delay prove love? Because the delay reveals Jesus. And He's not only our escape from death, but the one by whom we are truly loved. Yes, even while being truly known, if we could grasp the priority of eternity, we would run to Jesus. If we could understand what love really is and where it can be found, we would run to Jesus. Because Jesus died for sinners in order to demonstrate His love for them. In 1 John 4.10, we read this amazing text. In this is love. Not that we have loved God. See, earth doesn't define love. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation, the wrath-absorbing sacrifice for our sins. Love is not that feeling you and I have for God that we also have for a nice perfectly cooked crispy pancake Right? it's not the same thing right? it's, it's, it's not the same impulse a, a different way or pizza or whatever or a person it's, it's, it's that feeling we have it's not what is actually love doesn't mean it's insincere, doesn't mean it's fake, doesn't mean it isn't a good thing, that's not my point. The point is that Jesus gets to define love, and in this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. Love is not the feeling you and I have for God. Love is not the thing that is displayed by you doing things for someone you really have a lot of affection for. Why did you do this? Because I love you. That, that, that's a, that's a shadow of love. And it's a good shadow, right? I'm not demeaning love. I'm saying, what really is it? That's all that love is. If love is just this feeling of affection, no wonder we would question Jesus' response in verse six. Right? Because then it doesn't match. No wonder we would question whether or not Jesus cares about us now if love means you do what I want. That's how I know that you love me. Love is that impulse that God had toward us while still in our sin and rebellion to send His Son to redeem us. Whatever love is, it's that. right? it's, It's the divine impulse of God while you and I were not lovable to send His Son to die for us. That's what love is. This song, there's a song by an artist named Andy Skyers where he's mourning the tragic death of a friend who was murdered. And he says this this great line. He says, I went to the Lord with a bow and arrow, tried to shoot Him down with a song of sorrow, but love is not a thing that we can borrow It cost you blood and bone. When Jesus came to die for us and to be the resurrection and the life for us, we were finally being loved. Did you know that? We were finally being loved. To create in our minds an idea of what love must be through our own experiences is like, it's like co-signing your own loan. We will finally discover what love really is only at the foot of the cross, only at the foot of the cross. God is love now love is a distinctly divine attribute that we can only scratch the surface of here it's 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 not you could define love in our world as the inclination of desire being carried out you know i i you, you could Define it that way, and that doesn't mean it's, it's, you don't actually feel something or have something for somebody else. Again, that's not the point of what I'm saying. I'm saying that love is, 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 is a sign down here. We don't really, we haven't cornered the market on what it is. God has cornered the market on what it is. That's who He is. But that doesn't mean He's this feeling that we have when we feel really strongly for something. It's not what, the Bible's telling us when it's telling us that God is love. And again, as long as we think that's what love is, and perfect love being the perfect expression of that, then yes, what Jesus is doing and saying largely seems irrelevant. Because it, why? Because it seems unloving. Because it seems apathetic, given all the real problems in real time of the world. Right? Where are we learning all this? In a situation where all he had to do to affirm for these sisters that He loved them, was show up on time. And He deliberately didn't do that because He loved them. The perfect, the, the, the perfect and fullest expression of love is found only where eternity is addressed. In and through the person of Jesus Christ. Dying for us on the cross so that as resurrection and life He could take up His own life again to give life to all who believe on Him. Only Jesus Christ truly loves and only Jesus Christ sufficiently addresses death. If Jesus is to be understood and believed upon, He has to be heard in His own words. You... Don't take my word for anything. You, you, you've got to read Jesus. You've got to let Jesus speak. Jesus constantly redefines categories or reclaims categories from our incorrect definitions of them. Death is not the end of a life. And look, I'm, I'm not telling you anything you don't actually believe. We all know it somewhere deep down inside that Death is not the end. We, we all know it. We all know it. It's written into our DNA. Death is not the end of a life. Death is the gateway through which the immortal part of us actually begins to live. The, these 70 to 90, maybe 100 years that we will spend here are the least amount of time we will spend anywhere. Belief in or rejection of Jesus is the key to life and death. And love is not a mere affection that is proven mainly by us being willing to do whatever someone wants or even needs us to do. Love is the impulse of God to send His Son into the world to rescue people who had rebelled against and completely rejected Him. Love is the divine state of mind that drives God to save His enemies. You see, God's love just flips earthly love on its head. You, you, you don't, you pursue your enemies for one reason, to destroy them. God pursues His enemies to save them. Right, so, so, you can't Try to stuff him into the box of if you were really good, this would be your focus. And if you really loved, this would be your focus. Now I fully understand that will be insufficient unless God does the miracle of illumination this morning that you might hear the voice of the shepherd calling to you. I totally, I, I, I understand that. I, I, This is the truth. Jesus is the truth. This is what love looks like. This is what love looks like. So whatever he does, whatever he does, no matter how quickly he goes, no matter how long he delays, it's always love. Always love. And the believers in the room need it as much as the unbelievers in the room. Because the first place we go when he delays is the question is love. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus is God's love personified for the dying, which is what we all are. Jesus isn't a genie who grants wishes, Right? He he isn't a tool to be used for whatever project we wish to employ him. He's a savior to be embraced because eternity is coming and because he actually loves us. And because Jesus truly loves us, his priority for us is eternity. That doesn't mean Jesus has nothing to say about today or no relevance for right now. It doesn't mean Jesus brings no weight to bear on the real-time issues in our world. What it means is that this world is temporary and eternity is forever. And again, if, if any fix for anything is not addressing eternity, at the end of the day, how loving can it truly be? If this is true, what is it really mean to love somebody what does it really mean to care about somebody it may absolutely mean food and water for the hungry it may absolutely mean freedom for the oppressed it may absolutely mean standards of government and law that are not abusive or inconsistent all of that could be a part of it but if it never means more if it never addresses the underlying problem Jesus not only came to address these things, He's the only one who is actually addressing them. Love doesn't just heal the afflicted, it raises the dead. You see that. Where the dead are not being raised, love is not present. Not real love. Love doesn't affirm the choices we make when those choices are killing us. It's not what love is. Love lived obediently to God in my place and in the place of all who believe. Love gives up its life on behalf of you and I. Love raises from the dead to become the only means by which we might have life. Death and love meet in the one who is the resurrection and the life and in him death is conquered and love is poured out do you believe this that's the question of eternity do you believe this that's the question jesus asks it's the question he's always asking right do you believe he will forgive you of all of your sins do you believe that you need him to do that? Do you believe he will reconcile you to God and thereby give you life forever, whether you live or whether you die? you see, The text is addressing both. Do you believe this? The front is open this morning. If you want to come as we sing and as we close if you desire to believe in Jesus if you desire to pray if you need help if you desire to join our church the front is open for you I'll be down here let me pray as June comes Father I thank you for your word your son Jesus Christ Father I praise you for its effective power to be what it is, to do what it says. And, Father, I pray that you would give life in this place this morning. Lord, you would help us to see our need for you, that you are the way, the truth, and the life. You are resurrection. It's not, Father, that information, doctrines, it's not that these things are bad, but, Father, They don't heal. You heal. You raise up. And so, Father, I pray that that's what you would do in our midst this morning. For those that are in need of you, I ask and pray these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So much for being here this morning, everybody. We thank you. We're so glad that you were with us. And I just just let me say this, and I'll pray, and we're done. The words of that song are true all the time, all the time. There is never a time He won't save those who call out to Him, ever, ever. Let's pray, Father. I thank you so much for this place that you've provided for us in which to meet. God, I thank you for everyone that's come. I thank you for everyone that was willing to be in this place this morning. Lord, I pray that you would watch over everyone present, watch over those that couldn't be with us. God, may your grace and peace, your goodness and mercy pursue every one of us all the way home. I ask this in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You're dismissed, everyone. (laughs)